Hello, and welcome to the fifth episode of Immortals. My name is Rishi Chaudhary, and I'm here with Ishan Shivanan, an executive coach and wellness expert who is also the founder of the Yoga of Immortals program. Mr. Shivanan, how are you? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm great. Uh, next, we're here with Akshay. He is a storyteller by passion, business development manager by profession. He has worn many titles, uh, many hats across the IT landscape, across user experience and creative design, process definition, or business and technical consulting. His experience through the sector and his survival, nay, thrive strategies in the corporate environment has been bolstered by the teachings of Ishan Shivanan and Yoga of Immortals. Uh, Akshay is going to be taking over this podcast. With that being said, Akshay and Nishanji, take it away. Excellent. Um, great. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank you, Ishanji, for this wonderful opportunity of speaking to you, keeping my thoughts in front of you, keeping the questions that have been swimming around in my head for a long period of time in my professional life and, and positioning it in front of you and trying to understand some of those deep, dark questions that have been that have been living with me obviously the teachings that yoga of immortals and you have given uh, uh, us as a collective have helped me uh, survive and like uh, rishiji mentioned not only survive but thrive in the corporate environment but uh, i i have some some selected questions that i would love to uh, love to speak to you about ask you and pick your brains and understand uh, where your thought process is with respect to them so uh, thank you again and let me start off with my questions. Most welcome. Uh, See. <laughs> so first, the first question I'd like to ask you is like, you know, all professionals allude to being in the zone, right? Uh, when they refer to creating something of tremendous value, something of uh, something, a valuable thing that people will, uh, will like, will appreciate, will consume. Uh, and this requires deep focus and, and significant amount of concentration. Now, this has many names. It is called being in a flow state, uh, being switched on, etc. You know, there are many names to it. I've seen creative designers on my floor, in my, in my, in my, in my office, uh, switch on their headphones and start working stuff on their tools and, and just get immersed and lost uh, in their work. And what they produce after it is just something really beautiful. I've seen business professionals sit at their desk work on Excel sheets, bring PPTs to life and, and talk about corporate strategies. I've personally experienced this when I've worked towards a very effective storytelling mechanism in my day-to-day -day work, right? Um, everybody uh, in a professional environment has experienced this kind of flow state in some way or the other, this zone. My question is, what is this zone? And how might one enhance or deepen this zone? Leading to controlling this zone at will, you know, an ability to switch on and switch off this zone at will so that you can kind of get into the zone, but still be able to maintain a kind of a balance and sanity, right? That you can't be on the zone all the time because you'd burn out. So how do you, how do you, while you, you know, use this as an effective nuclear weapon, if you will, but, but then also able to switch off and look at other things to keep your sanity. I know I've asked you a bunch of questions. I'll be happy to repeat, but I hope you've, understood the gist of my question so um, two things number one everybody has this zone inside them if we try to read the works of different psychologists 
or we try to look at the uh, various philosophers. Everybody talks about the wisdom that lies inside us. If you read about lateral thinking, it talks about uh, all the creativity that may lie inside a person. If we read the gift of fear, then Gavin Becker talks about the importance of intuition in getting us out of trouble. So when all the people are talking about the knowledge being inside us, then we have to understand that either we can accept this knowledge or we can ignore this knowledge. So the first part is simple, understanding that there is knowledge inside us, there is intuition inside us, there is capacity inside us. All psychologists talk about it, all philosophers talk about it, and all spiritualists talk about it. Now, if we have it inside us, why do some people act as if they can see the strings of the world and some people uh, fall flat on their face because the people who can see the strings have somehow learned to be aware of this knowledge. They have accessed this mental state that you are trying to uh, call. This is a very interesting name, the flow. But names have been a lot. Um, one of the ancient name of this state is Turiya Avastha. And Turiya Avastha literally means when you are one with yourself. So your physical body, your mind, your emotions, your intention, it's all become one and you are focused on that one activity. So now the question comes that if this is already inside us, then why is it that some people ignore their inner intuition and knowledge? Well, there are a few factors. The first factor is conditioning. Uh, a simple thing that Pavlov talked about that you can through aversion or through reward teach behavior to an organism. So for example, a child is growing up and from inside a voice comes that he wants to do something. What's the first thing he listens to? No! From either his parents or his teachers and he grows up a little bit. He has a girlfriend. He wants to do something. The girlfriend says, no. And then he has a wife. So then it's in a repeat mode. No, 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 no. So each time an inner voice is coming, an inner motivation is coming, a desire is coming. The first thing thrown is no. So like Pablo's conditioning, we can get conditioned to sort of ignore our inner voice and just focus at whatever menial task is at hand. Now imagine if all your life you have been conditioned to ignore your creativity, then how difficult it is going to be where once you want to just sit and hundred times you have rejected yourself and the one time you want to embrace. So that may be tough. And the second time, what can happen is, uh, there is this great Indian mystic by the name of Goraknath and he says that our mind is like a newly wed bride. So if you ever go to North India and you look at a newly wed bride, uh, the newly wed bride has so many bangles. So he was just trying to say that, you know, just like the newly wed bride has so much 
makeup, so much bangles, so much jewelry that when she's walking, there is very little real about her. The rest is just illusion and noise. And, uh, you know, I won't like to explain that joke much more because when he uh, said it, it can have multiple meanings, but it makes sense. All of it is illusion and noise because half of the things that we see in that bride, they may not be real. And then all the bangles that she's wearing are creating so much of noise that I can see her coming from half an uh, hour away because I can hear her... Uh, Gunguru, I can hear her bangles, you know, all those things. And the same happens inside us. Goraknath says our mind is like a newly wed bride. We have so many issues inside our mind, so much noise, or he likes to say noise, that now even when you want to listen, you won't be able to listen to the reality because there would be so much noise. So the two things that we have to do if we want to access our flow state is number one, break the previous conditioning. And breaking the previous conditioning can only happen through repetition. It can only happen through providing a new behavior, which in this case is meditation. Each time we meditate, we are creating a new conditioning in which we are saying to ourselves, I accept my thoughts. I'm aware of my thoughts, I acknowledge my thoughts, and I'm ready to act upon my thoughts. This is one thing that helps break the conditioning. And the second thing that meditation helps with what we need to do is purification. Until and unless there is noise inside our head, doesn't matter how many times you want to access the flow state, it will just be frustrating because it's not that the ideas are not there, the ideas are drowned by so much of the noise that exists and through regular recurring meditation use. What we are trying to do is we are doing sort of like a spring cleaning of our mind. And through that over time, what happens is we have ideas. We still have ideas. But the only thing was we were not able to embrace our ideas or acknowledge them and maybe even act upon them. We were not capable. But now when the conditioning breaks, now when there is a sense of purity, we will be able to acknowledge our ideas and we will be able to act upon them. Something as simple as just 15 minutes of breath work in a day and that too you don't even have to do one uh, movement you can do maybe five to ten minutes early in the morning when you wake up five to ten minutes late in the night before you are going to sleep and just you are allowing the mind to relax allowing the mind to to recover from all the chaos that it has gone through and allowing it to just break its previous conditioning if we give this much to ourselves a lot of good things can happen and then people say oh this is so little how come if we just do so little so much will happen well even if you put so little seed such a big tree comes but from somewhere you have to start and uh, sometimes even that is enough so yes that is how anybody can access the flow state so <laughs> bless you Anji. wonderful
wonderful shanti wonderful uh, uh, absolutely i mean um accessing that flow state flow state is obviously the first thing is to acknowledge that there is a there is this capability within us and that acknowledging is is something that that requires that mental flexibility that extensibility of the mind and and typically um, while people who have been conditioned in the ways of uh, uh, you know uh, of of self discovery if i want to call it yeah, are inclined to consider these things but in a co- corporate environment you have all kinds all kinds of animals exist and uh, 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 there i i'm a little bit i'm deviating from the question set that i had prepared but just on that point i wanted to ask you um how would one um for the lack of a better word convince uh, a, a a person who's not conditioned towards that mindset to try and accept these uh, uh you know meditative states and thereby reap the benefits and get into some 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 kind of a flow state how would that be con- how would a convincing activity be done if i was a manager and if, if if i have a team what what is the what what angles would i be approaching my team with to to basically convince them to consider these aspects and, and these dimensions of life and work so the thing about the mind is if you try to push it it pushes back there is this very interesting story of a man who uh, goes to his teacher and his teacher just to teach him a lesson says that if you want enlightenment for the next 5 days i don't want you to think about a monkey and uh, the guy after 5 days come back with red eyes with uh, torn clothes saying what hex you put upon me you told me not to think about monkey and for 5 days i thought about gorilla or anutan chimpanzee every single monkey under the blue sky has jumped in my head and the teacher just wanted to say that you know if you if you try to push yourself then this is what's going to happen your mind is going to push back so if you if you try to tell somebody that oh you you have great power you have great strength and uh, the person will push back yeah now we have to understand why this push back comes why is it that some people really uh, you try say something nice and then there's a push back there's there's this wall when uh, you say good they say bad when you say happy they say sad one of the biggest reasons of this pushback is the inability to relax i don't know somebody once said this joke that uh, some of my family members are wound up so uptight that when they fart only dogs can listen <laughs> our person who's so uptight no matter what you say there is going to be pushback and that pushback is not because that they are bad people or that they are too logical because there is no logic in pushback mm-hmm. in uh, the ancient scriptures they say that pushback comes from uh, either khutark or vitark and khutark means that you just want to debate uh, mm-hmm. unnecessarily and there is this very nice joke that you know there is ram and shyam 
Ram is saying that in my village excavation was done and after 100 meters we found, found pieces of wire. And what it means that 100 years before in my village there was telegraph. And Shyam said that's nothing. In my village we excavated for 200 meters we found nothing. And that means 200 years ago in my village there was wireless services. <laughs> so you can't debate with somebody who wants to push back like this. It's Kutark. And one of the main reasons of Kutark is the inability to relax. A person who is uptight or who's constipated emotionally, psychologically, they will not see any other's point of view. They will not even see their own point of view. There is only one thing and that is frustration. The easiest way I can explain to you this is, let us say you are a mathematician who's working on an equation and you really, really want to solve it and you are waiting for somebody to give you the guidance. Now, while you are going to the office, you drink one Trenta Starbucks Americano. Now... Um, coffee is a diuretic so you really really want to pee and you've had a Trenta pack so you know your pee is almost ready to come so by the time you reach the office you park the car and now you just want to run to the toilet and while you are trying to run to the toilet on the way a person comes to you and says Eureka I found the answer to your equation come let's sit let's discuss before I forget I'm about to forget come let's sit let's sit and discuss and what will you do? You will slap that person and you will go away. Not because you don't want to listen or you don't want to get into a state of flow. It's just because you want to pee. The moment you pee, you are relaxed. And when you are relaxed, you are more receptive. So the, this is not a psychological problem that people don't understand their flow state and this and that. We are just unnecessarily complicating the situation. The problem here is people don't know how to relax and we need to teach it to them. And this is a society which, which just doesn't know how to chill. All the things that we do for relaxation are the things that slowly either kill us or poison us, either mentally or emotionally or physiologically. And that's not relaxation. That's a slow suicide. Real relaxation has the ability to calm us, to let go. And what is real, real relaxation? Uh, again, imagine you wanted to go to toilet and you finally go to toilet. Then that sudden one second of relaxation that you feel when you are about to go to the toilet. Now imagine feeling that relaxation of ah, for five minutes, ten minutes. Imagine how productive you will be in that state of relaxation. How many good ideas you will get. But if you don't learn how to progressively relax yourself, then you would be fighting your mind all the time. And if you are fighting your mind, and somebody comes and says, oh, you have so much of power inside you. It's like when wife and husband are talking and somebody comes and says, but you love each other. It is just going to trigger more nonsense. <laughs> At that time, the wife and husband don't love each other. They are going through a lover's spat. So if that time a person is going through frustration or anxiety and he's at war with himself and I go and I say, 
all power you seek is inside you that person is going to get frustrated so i don't need to give them gyan you know this gyan dump that here take this knowledge that also no i need to teach them relax how to use the breath work to relax the mind to relax the yoi protocols to relax and once they are trust me they are much more receptive wonderful wonderful that was such and a beautiful thing about experience. it if it can be taught you know long ago surgeons were good but surgeons needed uh, to be fast because there was no anesthetic so you couldn't relax the patient so the trick was how much surgery you could do in under a minute and in that speed there would be compromise of quality and people would die and when the anesthetic was there oh you can relax the patient now they can take their sweet time and make sure there are no human errors so many times it happens in meetings that you see the person is going getting frustrated now imagine just like doctor has the anesthetic tool to relax the patient and then do the surgery if even corporate offices have the meditative tool to relax their client to relax their employees and then they are more receptive and at that time what you do you can do better surgery in a state of relaxation remove the unwanted behavior and put in that which is necessary needed and important so i always say you know sometimes the process is good surgery is good but you need a few um garnishes here and there to make the process better faster and much more uh, productive and i think that is what meditation does meditation to office is what anesthesia is to surgery it, if introduced it will become one of the most important parts of the process yes wonderful that's such a It's a deep and uh, interesting explanation. I was laughing all the way while you were speaking about it. So thanks for peppering it with your witty jokes as well. Um, so my first question was on the flow state. Um, my next question is with respect to peak performance in in a sort of a social and a communal setting. Be it for a person to be addressing a keynote presentation in a in a much wider gathering, or making that uh, you know super billion dollar pitch. which is a make or break for the organization or convincing a tough customer to take a decision in you know your favor typically typically these situations are like a split second decision you know split second aspect to them right decision making aspect to them that the crowd the customer your the decision maker who's listening to, listening to your pitch whether they like you or don't like you there's a bit of a kind of a first impression situation happening over there obviously the content is all, all always going to come and and that convincing will happen over a period of time but that first impression element is is kind of weighing heavily on people's mind in any case having your game face on before you go into this situation is a different kind of focus and concentration where, you know where all the faculties are heightened you know your all your signals are on there's a bit of a butterfly in a stomach situation fight or flight you know your adrenaline is pumping that's what's happening to me right now a little bit <laughs> uh but uh, you know my question is in such a high pressure pressure situation you know how do you psych yourself to be at your peak performance to be to give you the to give the best uh performance to 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 the to your audience 
and and you know uh, achieve the best kind of a messaging that is going out there and uh, and also my second question a kind of subsumed question is how might one address the challenge of that split second bit where you know not all of those factors of a you know first impression element is under your control so those are the two things that uh, i wanted to ask you so one thing that i really missed uh when i was in north america was hospitality because there is hospitality there is like south asian indian hospitality and then there is north american hospitality so where even when you go to a hotel in an indian hotel there is somebody who will give you your luggage and then there is somebody who will give you the best food there is somebody who will uh, uh even wipe your nose when you sneeze <laughs> and in an american hotel there is just somebody who will point you to the coffee maker and the water and that too you have to pay for it and i used to think why it is like that even if you go to a shop like in india when you go to a shop 20 sales people will jump upon you try to sell you something and make you feel like a king and here when you go to target or you know any other place even if a salesman sees you coming they'll run away and uh, i realized this because in india uh, there are small mom and pop stores so when it is a mom and pop store the person who's doing the selling he's very much convinced that uh, he has to one generate value into the buyer's life and through the value that he generates in the buyer's life he has to generate value in his own life so he wants to give the best service because he is directly impacted it is a very intimate story in his mind and he wants the buyer to come back so there is a very grand storytelling that is involved every person who's coming in it is a very active story that is being written that is being said and if somebody is just working on a minimum wage basis then it's a very different story because now the story is oh i i i finish my work i get my pay and i go back home and this is just something that's temporary this is just something that's temporary i just need to power through it i just need to you know get it done so there is less pride and i'm not saying everybody is like that but a lot of it can be seen that there is a lack of pride so a lot of it comes down to what is the story that drives us when we do what we do i was born and raised in the monastery and in the monastery what i learned is the power to motivate people so in the monastery the head monk will motivate people in such a manner that we would do everything but we would do with a smile on our face why because we were taught whatever we are doing is for a greater good we are generating value in our lives in in the nature's life in the universe's life so we are doing something that's extremely important and necessary so even if it was uh, preparing food for a thousand people and there were just 10 of us and we had to cut all the vegetables we had to uh, make all those big things and then serve and then clean we would still do it for 20 hours without Uh, a frown a smile on our face because the story that we were told was such 
that bought pride into what we did. So we didn't need to be convinced. We were very convinced already. And I think this is something that I always try to teach uh, when I'm working with corporates that the amount of motivation that you can learn from monks in monasteries on how they can motivate people. Uh, corporates have no idea because they have to give 20,000 incentives. Then a person does anything. A monk doesn't even give incentive. He promises that one day you will get enlightenment. When? We don't know. Imagine if you had to do it in the corporate field. That one day you will get million dollar. Which day? I don't know. One day. Maybe. Some people get. Some people don't get. But you have to give 200%. No employee will work for you. But a monk has so much power and conviction in his story. Why? Because it's coming from a place of truth and honesty. He himself has found something. He's not lying. You know, a uh, uh, human resources manager can say, oh, in this company, everybody is happy. But the face himself is looking that the person is the most unhappiest. So there is the words are coming, but they're coming from a place of lie. So it is a false story that makes a false story. And if it's a false story that you have to lean back upon, then each time before a meeting, you'll have to have a game face. Because there is a false story. But if there is a real story, there is a real motivation, there is a belief in the product and the services, there is an actual thought that I am bringing value into people's life, my life and into the bigger picture of the world as a whole, then I won't need to put my game face because I would be so thoroughly motivated in what I do. So my Advice is always, what is the story that you're telling yourself? Why are you doing what you're doing? If it's just for a paycheck, then of course it's going to be, you will need story to put a game face on and then maybe you'll need wine to sleep at night and then maybe you'll need coffee to wake up at morning or some other stronger thing as time goes by because you don't relate with the story. You don't like the story. You are watching a movie that you don't even love. But in the monk, we would, in the monastery, the monk would spend so much time in making us fall in love with the story. Because he understood that once they are convinced of the story, they are convinced of the value they will bring in their lives and in others' lives, then they are self-motivated. Then they are uh, self-replicating uh, AI, not AI, real AI. Because now... Their ideas can convince other people. Those ideas can convince other people. So if that grunt work is done, that realization is done, then you will find that body is beautiful. If you believe in something, if you like something, you will be amazed how long you can do it without fatigue. And instead of fatigue, there will be a better sense of fulfillment and joy when you sleep at night. So forget convincing other people. I think the first thing you should convince is your own self over what it is that you are doing and tell a better story because uh, that is what makes us function. So yes. Wonderful. Wonderful. It's a, it's a, it's a deep sense of conviction in what you're doing that really is enabling the truth to come out instead of uh, you know, having to put on various masks, if you will to make things happen. 
uh, and that's that's a good segue into my next question which is essentially around this uh, conflict of interest uh, is what i want to call it right uh, this this kind of conflict between what you are communicating out there and what you believe in and what's real uh, within the organization this co- constant conflict uh, you know people are dealing with day in and day, ta- uh, day out especially and and this this kind of conflict creates a kind of a sense of cynicism uh, in the in the minds of people especially mid- middle management because they are saying that uh, top management is doing their own stuff uh, you know uh, newcomers are still kind of getting uh, onboarded into the system and understanding the ways of working but what happens to the middle management ecosystem is that the you know the, the good vibes of creativity teamwork self growth uh self involvement uh, are kind of dwindled down uh, how might one shore their spirits up and tell themselves that you know all is well things will work out see the first thing is synergy so whenever uh, we would be in the monastery we would have these outreach programs where uh, a bunch of children would come for a few months and they would be from different socio economic backgrounds they would be from different uh, cultural backgrounds and because it was india they would speak different languages uh, different physiologies different interests and uh, whenever you have so many people uh, of variety coming in then rarely does it automatically become a melting pot the first thing it becomes is a conflict pot where uh, everybody you know starts to bang heads with each other so before we would even uh, work with those children there were a few protocols that we would do that would create synergy in the group and that synergy is most important uh, that resonance that teamwork and you have to understand if you are living in a monastery that teamwork is what uh, is the difference between life and death because you are in a remote place everybody has a job everybody depends upon other person's job and if one person messes up the whole uh, chain messes up and everybody suffers so synergy is most important so we would spend that time we would invest that time that because the moment you have new people you know there's this greed that let's put them to work let's get uh, as much as i can let's start squeezing them oh this is a fresh guy from harvard or yale or princeton let's see what they can do what value they can generate sure but first synergy first a preparation it's like how you shoot a bow you you first um, put in the arrow then you draw after knocking the arrow and then you aim you hold your breath you aim and then finally then you shoot but the knocking process and the drawing process and the aiming process is as important as the shooting process nowadays the companies are evolving so fast they are growing so fast that you know it's just we keep on building building something new is cheaper to maintain something and it is not a good way to treat human beings 
human beings should be treated like human beings and uh, that maintenance should be there i think this is this whole culture that we have of single use plastics where you know you use something and then it is okay to be thrown away and if we look at uh, uh, everything you know all products have a shelf life and now when we look at even human beings and professionals i think even now they are coming with shelf life and the more we are working ahead the shelf life is reducing just like in old times when things would come in cans and jars they would have better shelf life and now plastic things they have like a year shelf life now even professionals earlier times they would still you know last for 50 years and then they would get a retirement party and then they would leave a company after 50 years and nowadays 5 10 years you know burnout starts to happen and uh, depression starts to happen anxiety starts to happen so i need to jump company from a toxic uh, environment to another non toxic or less toxic environment and it's just sad because we can't treat human beings like that and all this stress and anxiety is a symptom of workplace so if it is a workplace mental health issue then there should be a workplace standardization of mental health as well because if the physiological health was being harmed in the workplace of course the government would go and make standards and put safety protocols of hard hats steel toe boots etc etc because if there is a physical injury it is a tangible injury and you can see it you can measure it but now because it's a mental injury it can't be seen it is an intangible injury it is a qualitative injury so you can't see you can't put protocols in place you can't do standardization and it all comes upon an honor system that if the company feels that they are really stressing then they would take uh, some uh, action and if they feel that they are not stressing that they won't take an action but the truth is stress anxiety and all these uh, symptoms of the modern work life come from the modern work life so we have to treat people better we have to develop tools to provide them with workplace synergy workplace focus workplace attitudes of relaxation otherwise it is quite chaotic and we have just you know thrown a person in a jungle just like you know the old tarzan movies where a baby is thrown in the jungle and if it's survival of fittest he will somehow survive but mostly people don't survive so it's the same thing a poor kid just out of college is thrown in a workplace jungle now if he has the fit genes he will become tarzan and the king of the workplace or if he doesn't then he is doomed to perish that's not how our attitude should be we should be able to help everyone we should have uh, processes and systems that can help every single person that is in the workplace so i don't think it is a matter of uh, one person dealing with every single uh, opinion that is around him but i think it is a matter of developing systems that can have better more synergic processes yes awesome awesome that's that's wonderful ishanji 
and and just to kind of uh, uh, ask a leading question on the bit that you spoke about just now around people being thrown into the wild um, this is not, this is not this is true not just of youngsters coming into the corporate environment but also people switching jobs from one domain to another domain and trying to build that capability within the other domain and what comes with that because you know the workplace is a changing environment technology is changing things are bringing new ideas new way, new ways of working automation uh, a, a person is in a constant state of learning what brings what comes with that is the imposter syndrome you know uh, you can't a person a professional can't have a knowledge of the entire 360 degree angle of what's happening in the organization rather even in the market as well how does one live with this imposter syndrome because one of the mantras that are out there is fake it till you make it why the, the, the first the first thing is uh, where does this syndrome come from let me tell you example of me yeah um i was born in the monastery in india the first 20 years i studied the vedas the scriptures i have uh, a doctorate in alternative medicine i have studied naturopathy i have uh, um, memorized the patanjali yoga sutras uh, i am a master of kalari payat and uh, at the age of 24 i was given the uh, uh, honor of being called an acharya an acharya means a master of uh, the traditional knowledge so the traditional knowledge that encompasses yoga that encompasses ayurveda natural traditional healing practices and the shivayoga meditative sciences and after 25 years of hard work and uh, you know being in a monastery and then working hard uh, not knowing anything else in the world i got this and i was happy and a few weeks ago i had gone to this hospital and i was trying to uh, teach the yoga meditative processes and again these meditative processes that we are teaching in uh, 2017 uh, we started to uh, systematize these processes and uh, in 2019 we started our rigorous clinical trials and 2019 2021 and even 22 we have published almost 5 peer reviewed papers in the top psychiatric journals of the world in trying to explore the power of yogic modalities when it comes to mental health and systematic not just throwing it as a keyword so when i am at this hospital and i am trying to teach uh, these processes that i have learned all my life and i have been doing scientific research since the last almost 7 years this lady comes to me and she is like what's your credential in yoga and i said uh, excuse me credential in yoga she is like no i have 200 hour yoga teacher training course certificate i have credential i am allowed to teach yoga you don't have credential and then i'm looking and she has a very official looking certificate that she has and it says that oh she has successfully completed yoga and i am thinking that for last 30 years i have been working in this field and i have still not even scratched the surface of yoga and in 200 hours she's completed yoga she's done it and and she was so threatened because in her head she was the expert 
she's the expert and and she had so much conviction in jumping on my head because you know uh, what i had invested my time upon what i had invested my energy my life upon she had tried to buy so she had paid uh, $5000 for the course she had paid $10000 for going to bali living there you know <laughs> and for her 15k she thought she well deserved this degree this certificate that she had and me who's a nobody who didn't invest a single dollar but his whole life how could i speak yoga and then she went on this whole uh, uh you know uh, speech that uh the yoga that you are teaching it's too denominational it has too much religion behind it you can't you know can't divide you can't differentiate between the real yoga and uh, you know this religious hocus pocus thing and whereas the certificate that i have you know the people who are teaching they could take out the science from it and then i said okay sure they took out the science which science where's the research where are the clinical trials can you tell me anything about it and nothing and then i said okay yoga uh, can you tell me what you know she's like oh i know everything do you know the downward dog and i'm thinking what is the dog and the more i'm talking to her i am feeling like an imposter because <laughs> all my life <laughs> yeah all my life i have been you know so very genuine and now even i am thinking maybe i am the imposter here you know and she should be the one teaching me because she has a certificate and you know you have to understand if you are feeling like an imposter meaning somebody is profiting to make you feel like an imposter somebody wants you to feel sh- like shit about yourself somebody wants you to feel pathetic so somebody has made this big story so that you are worse and they are good and if you want to be as good as them you must pay money or pay some licensing cost or pay some fees so you can desire to be as good as them and a person who's learned traditional yoga who has a doctorate in alternative therapies who has done so much scientific research and published so much papers is feeling like an imposter why because somebody somewhere thought that they would monetize yoga and then they would make good yoga bad yoga they would make spiritual yoga and religious yoga fanatic yoga and cool yoga you know the western yoga the good one and the eastern the uh, so much baggage yoga you know somebody would make all these things and the good yoga if you want to learn you pay me the licensing fees and then only you have the right to be real so imposter syndrome sometimes it is very sad that it is internal but a lot of the times it is manufactured and you have every time in the manufactured in in poster syndrome somebody makes a lot of money for you to gain back your self esteem and respect you may feel like imposter in high society and then how to stop feeling oh expensive branded clothes and cars then maybe i'm not imposter or oh i feel bad oh if i put my child in ivy league school then maybe i am not imposter 
then I am feeling good and great. It's manufactured from the time of Greeks. They made Philip feel like an imposter. That is the only reason he chose Aristotle to teach Alexander. And then the whole, uh, you know, history changes. So a lot of people who can't bully you with strength, try to bully you with class. Class. Not knowledge, manufactured classism. And uh, trying to tell you that you are not good. And you can be better only if I tell you. Now, it's so very crazy because then that yoga lady, she came to me and she's like, okay, we will allow you to teach in this hospital if you take a license from us. Because if you take standardization from us, then it is something we would be very... And I'm looking at her thinking culture vulture. (laughs) <laughs> because it is a real life thriving culture. It is not like, you know, uh, the Egyptian pyramids where you can keep on making fairy tale fantasy movies like Mummy Returns and just be happy. This is a live yoga is a alive, thriving culture. People who are actually connected to it, whose life actually is intertwined to it, just like your life is intertwined to your breath. Yoga is... My mother, it is who we are. But my point in telling you all this is even then through narrative, sometimes I'm made to feel like an imposter. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have to prove that yoga that I'm teaching is a science and it is not a religion. Which is crazy because when somebody wears Lululemon and in a studio, they are teaching. They don't have to prove their credentials. I have to. Maybe because of skin color or maybe because of some form of inherent bias that exists inside people. And they are thinking and then they say, oh, no, but what about your your religious inclinations? Then I say Isaac Newton was a devout Christian. That doesn't mean you stop learning physics and say, oh, he was a devoted Christian. I don't believe in physics. So how does it matter what my personal beliefs are? If my science is a standardized science, it is a well-researched science, then accept it for what it is and stop being judgmental. And if you are judgmental, then accept that somewhere there is an inherent bias or racism that may exist inside you. That makes you say that somebody who looks like me may not have a grasp of mental health or uh, psychology as you think about it. Because this does happen a lot. Bias, it exists. And uh, sometimes people do have to face with it. But I want people who are going through the imposter syndrome to realize that It is a sales pitch. You are amazing the way you are. Somebody has thrown a sales pitch at you and you are being affected by it. Uh, You know, and and it doesn't matter. No matter how much fair and lovely you put, nothing (laughs) is going to change. And don't ask me how personal experience I was. You know, I was exposed to some form of toxicity in culture also like everybody. So it's just like that. And uh, fair and lovely would want you want you to feel bad and like an imposter and then not pretty enough, not good enough, not nice enough, only then you'll buy. So I am sure if you are feeling like this, something is there 
so maybe there can be some form of education and i'm very happy that now there is the uh, asian american uh, pacific islander heritage month there are other cultural months that goes on in which education is done and bias is not pushed and everybody can be accepted and celebrated so knowledge matters a lot exposure matters a lot and i'm very very happy to those companies who when they want to teach yoga they don't just want to do a wellness performance because when world yoga day happens everybody just likes to you know tick the box check the box and just have some form of wellness theater some form of performance but no there are some companies that go above and beyond who find people like me who want to bring authentic value into their employees life and education is the thing that can get rid of uh, the imposter syndrome education and exposure because this will make people understand that they have value and even others have value and value doesn't need to have a color a gender a class or uh, a geography value can come from anywhere anyhow and we must accept embrace that under the blue sky everything is as important or maybe even more than us and and that's important exposure because i have to tell you that i because i was raised in a monastery the first thing that we are taught is imposter syndrome mm. meaning we are idiots we are nothing we are useless we are you know everything good is Uh, the guru's grace or the god's grace so anything that happens is is not you you know it's the guru's grace and god's grace so even if you uh, go to the toilet in the morning and have a big nice release guru's grace god's grace even though you are the one who has been eating all the roughage it's it's all you know the same thing again and again you are taught and it's only through exposure and knowledge that you understand that when they say it's guru's grace god's grace they are not externalizing they are trying to say that the god and the guru lives inside you and if good things are happening it's because the god is working through you and you are awakening the god inside you so when they say it's god's grace what they are trying to say is you are god and it is your action and your grace that are making things happen and change so you become the creator of your own destiny so if you want to get rid of uh, these niggling things <laughs> these uh, uh, imposter syndrome then i would really recommend exposure you know exposure to the authentic nice uh, various knowledge systems that exist out there integrate them into your workplace and i'm sure good things will happen but yes uh, it comes it comes in my life also people come trying to give imposter syndrome but after some time you have seen so many salesmen that uh, <laughs> refuse to buy the imposter syndrome yes but yeah everybody will try to sell it definitely profound profound ishanji profound what a wonderful answer to to the question right from the actual sales element i mean that that statement that you made i'm going to steal that uh, statement of yours around manufacturing cla- manufactured classism i really like that uh, i really like that <laughs> i'm going to steal it but it was wonderful speaking to you around all of these subjects right from uh, you know the performance capability individualized performance in a in a in a social setting 
culture uh, you know uh, uh, obviously the uh, you know the the imposter syndrome elements that affect day to day professionals we have touched upon so many topics and it was wonderful speaking and understanding so these things from you uh, i'd like to take uh, bring in rishi ji right now so that uh, we can wrap up the session because we are at on time now i want to thank you ishan ji and akshay for coming on this was a very entertaining podcast i was i was really engaged in this um so yeah thank you thank you so much uh for spending the time coming on and doing this podcast with us to the audience i hope you enjoyed your time with us and we hope you will uh, join us in the next episode of immortals thank you very much and goodbye